Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Now before I read this scripture, I want to get something very profoundly embedded into your minds. I know that we've got a mixture here of, of children that are homeschooled, children that are privately schooled, children that are publicly schooled, and maybe there even might be some online school kids. It does not matter these principles. But I want you to understand that I know that the world is presenting a bleak picture. The world is presenting things that you're seeing on media, different things that are happening uh, in the public school systems and even some of the private school systems, some Christian schools across our country, lowering standards, letting things in, doctrines in. Do not worry about any of that stuff. Do not consume yourselves with what you think is happening out there. I want you to know that according to research in Barna uh, in 2014, they discovered that over half at that time of public school teachers were people of faith that attended church services on a regular basis. Never, never get an attitude or an idea that the schools have been completely consumed by humanist behavior and they're pumping politics into your kids at a grand level. That's a lie from the enemy. That's something to scare you and frighten you. Not all parents have the ability to send their kids to a private school or to homeschool them. And so if anything, they're due maybe just a little touch higher level of prayer and attention than some of the others. Okay, so we're not going to divide, and we've never divided in this church. Oh, you're one of those public school kids? Well, okay, you sit over here on this side, and we're going to... We never do that. But I want you to understand the picture is not as bleak as it is. As a matter of fact, several years ago, the United Pentecostal Church International instituted a program in the public school systems. They got classified as an actual registered club-type format, and they called it Project 7. And Project 7 said that these students could gather together and form an official club and they can sit in their school with a prescribed area that was allowed for them and they could preach the word of God, teach each other, do Bible studies. And I want you to, tell, I want to, I want you to know this morning that literally hundreds and hundreds of young people across this country have been won to the Lord through the Project 7 program in public schools. Amen. Yes, that's worthy of praise. Many Christian schools across this nation have been forced to close financial matters. It's very difficult to keep them running. It's very costly. The parents ran into financial problems. All these different issues happened, and so they've had to shut down. And people said, oh, woe is us. We can't do that anymore. I understand. It would be wonderful if we could continue that everywhere. But here's the deal. I think God said in this time and in this era, I'm going to move my word into their territory, and we're going to preach the word of God in their place. Amen. You see, our students don't need to go into the school environment in any given year and worry that they're the minority. They're, they're buried. They're, they're surrounded by bad and all that stuff. That's wrong thinking. That's not the way to present this, and that's not the way for us parents to support it to our young people. Children, young people, high schoolers, teens, I want you to know that when you walk into your public school full of the Holy Ghost that you are, you're a beacon. You're a light to that place. You've got power surrounding you. You're not a follower. You're not a victim. You're a leader in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's the attitude that we've got to have. And we've got to remind them every single day. Oh, pastor, they slipped up. Oh, I heard this one got into some trouble, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, remember when you were young. Take a step back and remember when you were 12 or 13 or 15 or 16. And then you could start hurling rocks, right? None of us do that in here. I'm so glad for that. 
I'm, I'm so proud of an awesome church that supports their young people and prays over them and supports them and hugs them, includes them. Look at all of them involved in ministry up here, singing and worshiping along with us. Some of them are involved in the impact ministry. Some of them are helping to teach in their Sunday school. Some are up in the sound booth. Silas is up there right now. Good job, by the way, Silas. Sometimes back in the video, yeah, amen. Sometimes back in the video booth. Our young people are strong. They're full of the Holy Ghost. They're protected and sanctified by you and me and the God Almighty with the Holy Ghost. And they are powerful. They have abilities. Amen. Proverbs chapter 1. None of that is in my notes. Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord, how many know that fear of the Lord remains the respect and the reverence of God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What are we in school for? What are we going there for? We're there to learn, we're there to grow, and there become the person that we're to become, right, young people? We're there to learn. It's not a social gathering. It's not a place to figure out our political affiliations. It's not a place to try to defend uh, uh, some, some uh, uh, humanistic position. It's a place to grow and learn and become the person that we're going to become. He said, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mothers. Now listen what verse 9 says. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head. That terminology right there translated is almost like a crown. In other words, this starts at home. It starts with mom and dad. It starts with your leadership. It starts with the pastor. It goes God, mom and dad, your pastor and your church leadership, and then your teachers and so on down the line. That's how this works. And if you adhere to the word of your father and your mother, the Bible says, Solomon wrote it in here, the wisest man that ever lived, said that if you do that, it puts a crown upon your head. Crown means authority and strength and majesty and ability. You understand? By taking it from your mom and dad first, God first, excuse me, mom and dad learning from the Lord, you're putting a crown upon your head that means majesty and glory and ability. And authority. Amen? And it says, and chains about thy neck. Now that doesn't mean slavery chains. That means back they would adorn. A majesty would always have certain types of ornamentation, great chains, glorious things that would denote their authority and their power and their kingship. And so by listening to mom and dad, you get a crown upon your head, a crown of grace, meaning protection and coverage and authority and strength. You get that from that, and you also get that chain around your neck that identifies your authority and who you belong to. Amen? And then it says in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Simple phrase, simple word. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Now, parents, I'm going to start talking with you first because I want to lead right into my point here. Grace is abounding mightily in the world that we live in, but yes, sin is also. And I want you to know that corporate America and the education system, yes, they've got a target on your kids. They do have specific intentions to indoctrinate and to teach and to get them correct and in the right way and the right type of thinking. There's lots of doctrines out there that are being pumped through the public school system, some of it innocently so. 
But there are people and teachers, good teachers of faith, that are willing to stand and they're willing to say, nope, I'm going to teach this with an objective method that says you take this information and you evaluate it according to the principles and the values that your mother and father have given you, that your faith has given you, and they understand that. But there are those instructors, there are those teachers that are in that groove with the, with the spirit of the world and the humanistic approach, they just are, and they're going to try to really send that thing home. Mom and dad, it's upon you to make sure that every single day that you're engaged with the knowledge and the instruction of your children in what the word of God says. We can't be spectators in this process anymore. We can't send them to school and say, make my kid an educated kid. You know, you can't send them to Sunday school and say, make them a Christian. This starts at home. It all starts at home, and it starts with him. Amen? Come on, am I preaching the truth here? Amen. I prayed this morning, God, take Russ Cordell out of this situation. I want to be a vessel for God's word for you this morning, for what he has for me to say. And I'm telling you, I'm feeling the anointing of God this morning to speak to us as parents and to speak to you young people so that you understand what you're walking into and how you're going to be strong and successful. There's something that's referred to in modern Christian, if you want to call it sociology, that's referred to as the four-generation fade. Anybody familiar with the four-generation fade? The four-generation fade basically says this. Step one says parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. In some cases, in some places, in some ways, parent, there are parents that do not make church a high priority. Sister Cordell and I, every step of the way since our kids were born, made sure as best we possibly could to always let them understand that church is a priority. If the church is open, we're there. We're serving. We're doing what God has called us to do. We instilled it with them that church is a high priority in our lives. When we would go on vacation, we would have devotions. If we couldn't find a church nearby on a Sunday morning, the kids remember my Easter devotions when we would sit around the table and I would read from the Word and teach them. We made church a high priority. I know many of you do because I see you all here right now. But unfortunately, there are those that do not. They feel like they've made it a high priority, but they're sending a message when I'm too tired tonight or I'm too busy or there's a ball game or there's something else. This happens. This happens. And they innocently sometimes are sending a message to the children. It's not that high of a priority. There's always next week, right? Come on, it got real quiet in here now. The second step in the four-generation phase says that those kids whose parents said it's not a real high priority, those kids grow up and may make church less of a priority for their kids. So there's a step down. There's a tick down. Maybe, maybe the moms and dads are here once or twice or three times a month. Maybe Wednesday nights is a, is a, is a one-time-a-month or a two-time-a-month thing or if there's something special going on at church or if there's a food day or something like that. But, but that next generation takes a step even lower. How many you know midweek matters midweek matters folks and those of you that have children you want to know what they're going through in the course of a daily week the stuff that they're bombarded with at school and the things that they deal with and we're going to say oh we're too tired to get them to church we got to get them to bed my children slept under pews if they fell asleep they were in the church because they knew the church was a priority 
This is not in my notes, folks, and I'm probably going to step on some toes and hurt some people today, and I do not mean to do that. I just feel such a sense of of urgency in the Holy Ghost that we understand the priorities. These young people are desperately needing us to step up and put our foot on the ground and say, this matters most. So that second step, the kids grow up and they make church less of a priority. They don't go to any Wednesday nights. They, they go to church a couple times a month on a Sunday, but, but man, if there's enough vacation time or enough ball games or something else going on, they're there. That's step number two. Step number three, those kids, now this is the grandkids of the first group, those kids grow up and they make it no priority for their kids whatsoever. It's kind of an if you feel like it, go ahead, but, but they grow up and all of a sudden it's not really a priority and we're saying, come on to church, come on to church. Grandma and grandpa are saying, you should really get the, the grandkids to church and the kids are going, yeah, we will, we will. And the, little, and the kids are growing up and they're going, no, we don't really want to right now. The fourth and final step is that those kids grow up with no concept of God at all. And then we thrust them into a world of indoctrination and policy and politics, and we go, wow, what happened? You see, because the teachers and the people prioritizing that and the spirit of the world that's prioritizing that education and that process aren't stopping, and they're not taking vacation, and they're not blowing things off, and they're not making it less of a priority. Do you understand Oh, we woe and we cry about the fact that you can't pray in public schools anymore. They've taken the Bible out. You can't even give a teacher a Bible as a gift. Oh, that's woe is me. But then we turn around and we can't get them to Sunday school at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Where are we? What are we thinking? What's going through our heads as these young people are coming up and that indoctrination, that, that, that process that they're living in every single day, hours and hours and hours of teaching from somebody else every day, but we look at church and we go, oh, it's not that important. There's a ball game today. There's something else to do. Come on now, I, I'm gonna want you, I'm gonna, you gotta understand me now. I'm not saying don't ever take a vacation. I'm gonna understand there's not time where you're away from church and you gotta do something else. I, please don't, let's not go play, splice up hairs and make the pastor some kind of ogre. This is wake up every morning, come to church, and live here all week long. That's not what I'm saying. And you know in your conscience, and you know in your mind and your heart what I'm saying is right. It's time to emphasize the things of God above everything else. While many Christian parents give up on or put very time into teaching and training their kids because they're Sunday school and they have other things that they can turn them over to, the spirit of the world is ramping up as we're backing down, some of us. I'm not pointing out anybody in this congregation. I'm speaking in a general term across Christianity in this country. I want you to understand that in a general sense. They're stepping back and saying, well, you know, it's okay. We, we pray and we go once in a while and we do our thing. But the spirit of the world is stepping in where we're backing off is what I'm trying to tell you. They're not relenting. They're not taking vacation. School doctrines that are in place right now. They're in place right now. They're indoctrinating the concept of socialism as a virtue. This is not political. I want you to understand, I'm not going to dive into politics here. I'm just giving you the straight up facts. Oh, that shouldn't come from the pulpit, Pastor. Wrong. They're teaching them. Come on, who's, who's above my age here? Who's above 50 in this place? 
They're teaching them the virtues and the blessings of socialism. The one political structure that is responsible for the deaths, tortures, and murders of literally millions of people in history. And their teaching is it a virtue. And young people are being tested and talked to and asked about it and go, oh, it's a wonderful thing. You know why? Because everything for free sounds good. Of course, Santa Claus is here. The government's going to provide you with an education. They're going to give you free student loans. It's all gone. And and they're going to give you a free cell phone service. And and they're going to give you free health care. And they're going to give you free whatever you want as long as you vote for us and keep us in power. Young people, I want to tell you something. The mouse saw the cheese in the trap and said, hey, this is free cheese. Wow, I better get a hold of this. But where does that end up? Nothing in this life is free. And when you're getting it for free, there's strings attached. There's something not right about it. There's no power in it. There's no no grace in it. There's no true satisfaction in it. I could spend an afternoon right now talking to our young people at their level about why socialism is destructive and how it right now on the top when it's the frosting on the cake it's tasty and lovely and wonderful but eventually you start eating into the cake and pretty soon you're down to the cardboard and there ain't nothing left because it robs and steals and takes from everything that everybody builds and works for. Amen? Why am I saying all of that? Because I want you to know it's dominantly being taught in our schools. And if you think public schools are the only ones, you're wrong. Charter schools are teaching it. Public schools are teaching it. Online schools are teaching it. Even some Christian schools are evaluating the socialistic virtues because Jesus was a community organizer. They're teaching them highly volatile and often controversial political issues. It comes out. I'm not going to name those issues, but I think you know what they are if you've paid attention. There are parents that are showing up, and I want to say parents of all backgrounds, race, color, and creed, are showing up at these, the, the, these meetings of the school boards, and they're revolting against them because of what they're trying to pump into the public school systems. Amen for teachers, excuse me, for, for, for moms and dads and parents that are willing to go to the school boards and say, this is wrong. You can't teach this. I read of a school system in Texas that is instituting a doctrine, instituting a, 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 a particular teaching process where they're giving uh, uh, books, little comic style books to five-year-old children, teaching them the virtues of certain sexual behaviors. Five-year-olds. Oh, that's, that's, that's a real rare situation, Brother Cordell. That, that's not really a big issue. Oh, you see, here in the Midwest, we're, we're, we're pretty fortunate. We're a bit insulated yet. This is still America's heartland, still fairly uh, situated on some of these moral values. But you go out to the coasts, and you hear the stuff that's being taught and the things that are being pumped, the things that are coming. It's like a tidal wave that's just mounting out there. Pay attention to either of the coasts where things are a lot more progressive, if you want to put it that way. 
There are literally anti-American sentiments that are being portrayed in our school systems. People that put the flag, the United States flag, up on their home, young people. The flag that represents this country that God provided for us. You know that the godly men, and they were godly men that founded this nation, most of them, the high percentage of them, were seminary graduates. You know what that means? They went to Bible college. They didn't go to Koran college. They didn't go to any other kind of college. They went to Bible college, King James Bible college. They were men of God that prayed and sought the Lord. And I believe that God anointed these men to found this nation and create these freedoms. You know what they're telling young people? That that red, white, and blue represents racism. It represents slavery. It rep- they focus on every negative point in American history. Well, when I came up in school, they taught us that. They taught us about slavery and the horrific things that were accomplished. You know why they taught us that stuff? So we wouldn't do it again. But they're teaching them that the American flag is a shame. It's a source of racism. It's a source of oppression. Young people, you've got to stand up at the time that you have to stand up. The bigger flag stands between those two. That's the one you stand up for. It's got the cross of Christ on it. They're saying even worse things about that one. Christians, former Christians, people who decided to leave the faith, people who gave up on God, they were choked out of the spirit and they left and decided to come against the church are talking about the church as this oppressive movement. It's out there. The flag is a symbol, in my view, of the greatest things that God has ever done on the face of the earth with a nation and a country. And despite what they're going to tell you, this is a Christian nation. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Parents, you need to know, and if you don't already understand, and again, I'm probably telling many of you what you already know, but I'm bringing it to the forefront. I'm, I'm turning the heat up on the pot, and this stuff is rising to the top, and it's bubbling. All forms of media are dominated by anti-God doctrines. Does that mean that everything possible they see and look at and hear is all Satan? And it? No, it does not mean that. What I said is that all forms, all forms of media are dominated by anti-God doctrines, anti-scriptural doctrines. Things that we know from the word of God are wrong. See, there was a long time ago the beginnings of a push of an amoral society. There is no moral compass anymore. There is what feels right, what's best for you, your truth and my truth. You ever hear that thing, young people? Well, that's their truth. No, there's one truth. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. One. They don't get to prescribe a truth. There is one truth. And it's sourced in the word of God. And if we're not talking about it, if we're not sharing it, if we're not expressing it, if the kids aren't coming home and saying, Mom and Dad, I heard something at school today. The teacher said blah, blah, blah. Our kids used to come home all the time. And they'd say, hey, the teacher said this about that. And it really got me confused because the, the position is not to throw them into a pot of boiling hot water. The position is to turn the water up slowly. 
The old cooking frog scenario, Brother Kylie, remember that? You cook it up long enough and they start doubting. They start thinking. The enemy gets into the mind and starts, well, maybe that's not true. Is there really a God? And the kids would come home and they'd bring these things to us and we'd sit down and we'd talk about it and we'd express what the word of God says. Love the teacher. Respect the teacher. My kids were always, always taught, you respect your teachers. We would go into the parent-teacher conferences. We'd sit down. First question I ask, is my child behaving with you? Is he respecting you? Is she respecting you? Every time, my wife can attest to this, are they being respectful in class? Oh, yes, Mr. Cordell. They're very good. Absolutely. Nolan's a little bit hyper. Just a little bit. He's a little bit excited. But respectful. Young people, no matter what is happening around you, you behave in a godly manner. You love first, but you stand for what you know is true. One of my children had a teacher that was angry because she could not get him to agree to a particular issue and say it. And he said, no, I think it was Kyle. Kyle, was that you? Fifth grade? You don't remember? Well, I was in there fighting the fight for you. I got quit of this. He keeps talking about the Bible. Television and movie media, anti-scriptural social agendas are pumped in there all the time, everywhere. You got to know that social media platforms are educating. They're educating. You know that video game system? They're playing video games? It's educating them. It is teaching them. It is indoctrination. The government has taken first position in educating and indoctrinating your children and your grandchildren. First position. And they're teaching I don't care if it's a video game. I don't care if it's a a video. I don't care if it's uh, YouTube, whatever it is. It's educating, educating, educating. And we sit back and we go, well, you know, we go to church. We're Christians. How many know we need to take a proactive role in at least bringing some form of a counterbalance to that? Amen. Video game platforms contain every evil that man can conceive. You have to know that. Young people, if you are seeing things, that something is happening in your heart and your mind, and you're getting that weird feeling in your stomach because you know you shouldn't be seeing them, you shouldn't be looking, and you shouldn't be hearing them. You've got to begin to take a stand. The temptation to jump in, what did it say at the end of Proverbs? Abstain from that sin. Don't let them tempt me into sin. But they're doing it through these media platforms. Come on, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Video services like TikTok and YouTube. I just read an article about TikTok. I heard something at men's camp. I want to share this with you. Now, I don't do TikTok, but my understanding of it is, and I've seen a couple things pop up on Facebook. To me, it's ridiculous, but there's woodworking ones, and I'm interested in that. And so every once in a while, this will pop up through Facebook. I don't know how that works because I've heard that TikTok is an app you have to download. I don't have it. I don't want it. Neither do you. Trust me. But I, apparently, there's a limited amount of time that these videos can run. I don't know how long it is. But here's what they do. They can't track by law. They can't just track your information and dive into your private stuff, although Google's doing that on a regular basis, by the way. If you have Chrome on your computer, see me after church. You're going to run home and burn that thing out of your computer. But what TikTok does is it throws up, your kids download this thing, or some of you adults download this thing, and they'll throw a, a, an array of videos of different topics at you, okay? Now, it's a sampler. It's you're brand new to it, so they don't know you yet, 
And they can't track you specifically. So what they do is they watch and they see how many of these videos that you spend a little bit of time with. So I guess you can swipe them up like this. I don't like, I don't like woodworking. I'm not really, I don't care about cars. But, ooh, oh, that looks good. And so you watch that video. And it's, you know, questionable, like kind of pushing it, and kids probably shouldn't be looking at it. But they've now logged this, that they watched this. So guess what? The next run of videos has something just a little bit worse and a few more of them in there. And every time they stop and they watch the, to completion, each one of the, what, anybody know what the time frame on this is? No one wants to say because I'll be free, free, free. Never mind, doesn't matter. It's a few seconds, I guess. But if they watch it to completion, it gets logged. And then the next one, they watch to completion and they get logged. Remember the cooking frog scenario? So they're not super bad at slowly turning the heat up. And you're seeing a little bit more and a little bit more. And apparently, according to what the, the guy at men's camp said, is you can see anything that evil can produce. And so they'll just continue to pump that in their direction. And that creates an addiction because every time when you do one of those little flips and one of those little videos pops up, there's a little bit of endorphins that's released in your brain. And suddenly there's an addiction that's created. And that's how they get them. Come on, folks. The technology is fighting against you. It's fighting against the word of God. And they're surrounded by it. And they're deluged by it. And they're flooded by it. Every single day. But I, I just can't get them to church on Sunday morning for Sunday school. I'm too tired. Well, there was a youth thing on Friday night, but we got busy. There was a rally in Parkway on Friday night for Move the Mission. You know what those young people were doing? Praising, worshiping God, hearing the praise and worship of the God. They were hearing the preaching of the word of God. Every single opportunity, they should be there. Every single chance we can get to help reinforce that, they should be there. Amen? All right, I'm moving on. We've got to clean these things out and clean house and clean rooms. I spoke to someone on this past week, a young person, dealing with some challenges, and, and, and I believe it's the enemy just trying to hurt this person, and, and, and they came to me and sat down and expressed some things and said, uh, Pastor, I, I just want to be free of this. I want to be let go. And they were describing some very dark things that were affecting them. And I, I gave them some word and I gave them some counsel. But one of the things I said is, what, is your, what does your room look like? Our teenagers especially live their lives in a bedroom. TVs and video game systems, right? Their couch is their bed. Their contact with the world is their cell phone. Okay, not all of that is horrible. I'm not saying go in there and take the door off the hinges or run them out of their rooms or make them sit on, you know, the, the sofa covered in plastic like at grandma's house. But what I am saying is this, is that 44% of 13 to 21-year-olds report feeling lonely a lot or most of the time. The Fuller Youth Institute surveyed over 2,200 teenagers in 2016, and the purpose was that they wanted to look for an overlooked antidote for loneliness because teenagers continue to report loneliness. Loneliness it has so much attached to it. It's just depression. It's despair. Loneliness is a powerful and painful situation. 
But the world pushes them in that direction. The enemy entices them to go into their caves and to hide away and to feel depressed and to feel lonely. And then when they do, then he pounds down on them and just beats them up over it and tells them they're bad or they're no good or no one's going to like them or they're not friendly or they're not fun or they're not pretty. My goodness, that message could preach all day. But Barna's recent exploration of teenage emotions and experiences, according to a nationwide interview conducted for Gen Z Volume 2, which is a magazine, only one in four U.S. teens, 25%, feel empowered. Those who are categorized as empowered express a number of sentiments, including that they feel able to accomplish their goals and think someone believes in them. They're hungry for belonging and purpose. Young people, I want to tell you this morning, and I feel the Holy Ghost right now, you have purpose through God Almighty. You have identity through God Almighty right here. This is where you define who you are and what you are because God's got an eternity waiting for you. This world does not offer that. Amen. We've got our young people, I mentioned it earlier, we've got our young people stepping up, operating in music ministry up here. Gather together with your music ministry, musical young people and bind with them and your music leaders and the other teachers and bind with them and have purpose and and attach yourself to that. We've got young people operating in the impact ministries and greeting. I want to see more, but now's the time to encourage your young person. Step up, get involved in church. We need more sound people. We need more video people. We need more young Sunday school teachers. Get a hold of a group and find purpose and unity and identity in those things don't ever let the the devil tell you you've got no purpose you've got no value you've got nothing because I'm looking at some awesome young people that are full of the Holy Ghost and that are powerful in this world amen Belonging and purpose don't live in isolation. The interviewers who empowered to, excuse me, the interviewees who were empowered to express their purpose through social activism. Now that's a word that scares some people, but what they mean by that is being active in public, being active in groups, being active in something that combines them with other young people. Now this is Barner Research, okay? This is a Christian organization. In other words, living with purpose can bring relational connections that serve as powerful antidotes to loneliness. We've got to look at them as the awesome, amazing, powerful potential that they truly are. God is doing a work in our young people right now, and some of you may not even realize it. But folks, whether you're a parent or not, it is up to the church to support and nurture and enrich and pray for the generation that's next to come for the church. Far too many have been lost because they drifted into no purpose. They drifted into loneliness and they find a connection out there, God forbid. God forbid how many we've lost because some group out there was willing to say, no, you have... You're meaningful. You're wonderful. You're great. Come and join our group. Come and be a part of this. They hunger for it. They die for it in some cases. Young people, you have purpose. You have power. You have ability. And this church is going to be a resource for you for years to come to find your purpose. Amen? How many... Young people connect groups have we got up and running so far. 
Sister Carlson has one running on a monthly basis, getting the young people together. But how many of our young people are ready to step up and run one of their own? Come on, to be a, a, a connect group organizer, you have to love something. Yeah, Devon's ready, I heard. I heard he's ready to get one started. But to be a, a connect group organizer, the questions are very simple. What's something that you love to do? Okay, great. Do you like to share it with other people? Yes, I do. You're a connect group organizer. Young people, you have that ability. You are being empowered by this leadership to step up and do anything that God is calling you to do. Amen? You just got to start thinking in that direction. You got to start thinking that, hey, yeah, I do have the ability to do some things. Yeah, pastor, we'll support this. Mom and dad, we'll support it. And we'll back it. And we'll pray for it. And we'll do what we can to help you with it. Amen? We are behind you 1,000%. Let your light shine. Amen. All right. We'll be wrapping here pretty quick. To all you students that are going back to your hallways and your textbooks and your cafeteria food and all the crazy things that go on or maybe mom and dad's kitchen table, maybe the special room in your house where you learn or the video screen where you learn or the private school that you go to, I'm going to talk to you now about some really important principles. First of all, I know school is a pain. It's a dirge. Summer's over. Ugh, I got to get up early. Got to get dressed and do all these things, have all these responsibilities and homework. But be careful about complaining. Be thankful that you have a school to go to and an education system that you can take part in. Because there's a few million, million Afghans right now, especially women. Their education system has been ripped away from them. You want to go to school in Venezuela? Good luck. Because that system has been destroyed by socialism. Most of the free world has some form of a good education system. The United States of America, whether you, whether, whether you hear it differently or not, has the greatest education system on planet Earth. Be thankful for what you've got because it's a place for you to shine. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 14, says, Do all things without murmurings. Murmuring is complaining. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Don't fight with mom and dad when they tell you to get out of bed and go. Don't, don't fight with mom and dad about your homework. Don't dispute. Do those things without murmuring and fighting. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, that means people of God, not just sons, boys and girls, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. See, as I said, it's not for the Christian young people to go into the world and go into their schools and hide under a rock and be in the shadows and be afraid to say, I'm a Christian, be afraid to say who I am. It's for the young people to be proud of who they are, to understand the might that God has given them and to go into the world and let your light shine. God's got a mission for you today and we are going to commission you this morning that you can go and do and be successful. Amen? The scriptures command us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 18. We give thanks because we recognize that God orchestrates our lives. He's given you this opportunity. You were born and raised in the greatest country on planet earth with all of the opportunity that you could possibly be handed to be successful. You're in school because of God. Please thank him for that. Please thank him for the opportunity to have an education. 
And realize that school is teaching you more than just what's in the books. Your education is teaching you something really important. It's called responsibility. You learn getting up on time, going to school on time, getting to class on time, being organized, doing your homework, studying hard, turning projects in on time, keeping commitments, schedules, and promises. If you slack off, chances are you'll be an irresponsible college student, if you make it that far, and an irresponsible adult, none of which will bring glory to God or cultivate a lifestyle you're going to want. Trust me, you learn to slack, you learn to push it off, not make it important. I hear it all the time from people that are on businesses and, and my kids that have gone to jobs. My kids show up on time. They never call in sick. They act honorably. I taught it from day one. You behave honorably in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because God gives you favor and elevates. We talk about Joseph and what he was given. In every situation he went down. He got pummeled. He got put in prison. But in every situation he was lifted back up to the point where he was second in command to the greatest empire that existed on planet earth at that time why because he honored God and because he stood strong and he did what was right come on we got to be honorable in the court of Nebuchadnezzar we've got to be responsible these employers out there are suffering because young people will just disappear they'll get the job and then they'll disappear for two weeks and then all of a sudden show up for work one day I never heard of such a thing I was terrified of my boss when I was 16 years old They show up late every single day. Well, fire me. This environment and this culture has created uh, entitled, selfish people who don't care. And business owners are suffering. And then our young people walk into these situations and they're great. And they're honorable. And they're upright. And they're clean. And they're good talkers. And they go, whoa, you want to be a manager? Amen. Young people, if you behave honorably, if you do the right thing and you stand tall and you reflect God in everything you do and the way you say and how you treat your leaders and your teachers and your managers and things where you work when you get a job, you will be elevated. Opportunities will come flying down. I used to teach my children two rarely important things. Kids, I'm going I'm to share something really critically important that used to be between me and you, Kyle, and your, and your siblings. The two most valuable things in life that you can own besides the Spirit of God are intangible. That means you can't buy or sell them. You can't put them in your pocket. And it's trust and respect. They are invaluable. And they are incredibly difficult to earn from people. Very easy to lose. And almost impossible to regain. Treat, trust, this is exactly what I used to say to them all the time. Treat trust and respect like jewels of tremendous value. Earn them and never, ever lose them. When people trust you and they respect you, the world will roll out a red carpet to you and give you every opportunity of success. People will hand you opportunities. They love to see young people coming up that are respectable and honorable and professional and godly and kind. And I'm telling you, they're desperate for it in this world. And when they see you come walking in their doors, they're going to go, wow, this is great. 
My son Matthew's been working at Qdoba for, for a year and a half or so, making very little bit of money, but every single day, since the, almost the day he graduated, he shows up on time. He works a 40-plus hour week. They love him there. He just continues to work and honor God in everything he does. This guy's trying to get him to be a manager and trying to get him to do all this stuff. Well, Matthew said, hey, I've got an opportunity to increase myself and do just a little bit better and go from making pittance to a pretty decent income over at Quick Trip in McGuanago. He went out there and applied for a job. These people at Qdoba are begging him to stay. Don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Here, here's another dollar. Here's something else. The world's going to roll a red carpet out to that kid. Just like it's happened with Kyle and Maddie. And, so, and your kids too. I hear the, your kids' stories also. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor the Gentiles, nor the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, Paul said, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. You go out there and you be honorable and you let your light shine and you stand tall for what you know is inside you and you let those people know through your actions and your words and your behavior what an awesome young person you are and what you're capable of doing. And I'm telling you, they're going to roll the carpet out to you. But then the opportunity for you to be an agent for God, to see people saved, is going to come out. Don't let the devil tell you. Don't let him despise your youth. Don't let him tell you that you're not capable of seeing someone come come to church, that you're not capable of seeing your friends saved. It's promised in the Word of God. Amen? All right, I'm rolling fast here, folks. Are you with me still? We're okay? This is once a year. Your education is teaching you to love others. Listening to your friends instead of talking about yourself all the time is a real good way. Helping people find their way to their class. Assist a new kid around the school. My goodness, new kids are so mistreated. Make new, new students feel comfortable. Introducing others to your group of friends. Make new friends. Sit by those that are alone at the lunch table that are hurting because they're so alone and no one will talk to them. Be respectful to your classmates. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Be kind and respectful to your teachers. Hold the door open for others. Buy lunch for someone who forgot their money. My kids would go to school and they'd see those picked on kids and they'd make friends with them and they would defend them. My son Nolan had a sensitive heart for these young ones. They, they, they have some special needs kids sometimes in the schools and he had a sensitivity to them and that some of the kids would be mean and cruel. And kids, kids can be so terrible to one another and they would stand and they would defend them and make friends with them. Because it hurt their hearts to see how people can be so cruel to one another. Being in school, young people, presents opportunities to love others. School is one of the main areas of your life where you learn it isn't all about you. You can begin to serve and learn to serve and serve in humility. You'll have to work in teams, be around difficult people, learn to lead, learn to follow. All of which is designed to prepare you for life outside of your parents' home. A life of success, a life of blessing, and a life of purpose. God wants you to be a, minister, uh, excuse me, a missionary to your school. Realize that the time that you spend on the bus and the halls and the classrooms and the lunch table are times that you can be a missionary for God. You understand, young people, that if nobody reaches out to them and they don't know God, do you understand their destiny? Who's going to reach them? If not me and you, who? This is your chance. 
young people to be a missionary in your school. You know, there is such a thing as a five-year-old disciple. Yeah, kindergarten. They can be disciples. They can be effective. Grade schoolers can be disciples of Jesus. You can be effective. You can help a friend that's hurting. Matthew 5 and 16 again says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Don't ever forget your identity, young people. You are not defined by what you do or what you don't do. If you have Jesus Christ in your hearts and you're a child of God, you're freed, you're forgiven, you're loved, and you're accepted by God. Never forget that. That is your identity. You are not defined by being on a team or being in a group or a club. You're defined by Jesus Christ. Do you want the approval of man more than the approval of God? If you do, you will make some compromises. You will sin. And you'll have some major regrets later on in life. See, the driving force of acceptance sometimes causes us to compromise what we know is right. I want that boy to like me. I want that girl to like me. I want that group to like me. And they're asking me to do something to be cool. They're asking me to do something to be great. They're asking me to do something I know is wrong so that I can fit into their group. If you don't stand on your identity and who you are, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of Jesus Christ, and he would not like me doing that. If you don't take that into your daily lives every single day, you will compromise, you will sin, and you will regret it. It will hurt you. The wages of sin is death spiritually, the Bible tells us. Hang on to that, young people. Titus 2 and 11 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. That means just keeping it cool, not crazy, not running around like wild people. Righteously, meaning according to the word of God, and godly in this present world looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The rapture is going to happen someday. Jesus is coming back. He's looking for a church that's pure and holy, including its young people. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That means valuable. That means special, precious that word means a peculiar people, zealous of good works, meaning excited to do good things for God. These things, talk about them, exhort them, and rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise you for doing it. In other words, if somebody calls you out for it, shames you for it, so what? I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of Jesus Christ, and I've got a purpose, and I've got meaning, and I've got direction in my life. Amen? Finally, and I'm closing with this. I actually am, Brother Hickey. We're all going to take a five-minute break for Brother Hickey. Be back here at 11.25. I love you, Brother Hickey. (laughs) I really am closing, though. Lastly... Be faithful to Jesus and pursue holiness. Make this the most, make this the most, uh, excuse me, make this the best year ever for you this year. Don't waste it. Be a bright shining beacon for Jesus. Be faithful to Jesus. Be obsessed 
with your Bible. Carry it with you in your backpack. I got a little challenge for you I'm going to share in just a second. Be a holy teenager. Kill your sin. Seek to grow in godliness. Serve in your church. Be faithful to your student ministry. Invite your lost friends to events. Share the gospel. Be intentional with all your friendships. Ask the Holy Ghost to do all these things in your life. First Peter, you can stand with me this morning. First Peter 1, starting at verse 14, says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. As tempting as it may be, as comforting as it may be, as finding purpose as it may show to have, young people, I implore you today, do not defile yourselves with the things that the world has to offer in your conversation, in your behaviors, in your stand on the word of God. I'm telling you, God will bless you for it. Amen? So here's your challenge. Young people, I want, actually all the young people uh, that are in the congregation this morning, come down to the front, face me, just gather together down here. If you're in a grade school, high school, middle school, college, work your way down this way. Group around the pulpit. Face me first. Look at this awesome group of young people. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's the future of your church. These are the future Sunday school teachers, future leaders, future preachers and pastors and evangelists. This is the future of the church. Is it it precious to you? Is it special to you? Every single one of us in this room has a responsibility to this group of people to cover and support and pray and love and embrace and encourage and give purpose to. Amen? So here's the challenge, young people. Starting tomorrow, school starts for most of you next week, Wednesday, right? Starting tomorrow. Has everybody got a Bible at home? If you don't have a Bible at home, you come and let me know after church, okay? I've got a stack of them brand new in my office, and I will give you a Bible. If you have a Bible at home, and you have a place in your bedroom, this is what I want you to do. When you wake up in the morning, every single morning, all I want you to do is say a couple of words to Jesus first. The second that your eyes open, your eye, pop your eyes open. I want you to say something like, thank you, Jesus, for today. Help me through my day. Okay? Can you do that? Every day. Now, when you want to say more, say more. When you want to do more, do more. Because in a very short order of time, those couple of words are going to turn into a couple of sentences. 
And those couple of sentences are going to turn into a couple of paragraphs. And pretty soon, as you're getting ready for the day and getting dressed and doing your hair, you're going to be talking to Jesus. God, thank you for today. Lord, pray for my mom today. I just want you to help her out. She's struggling with something at work. Mom, this is, or, uh, Jesus, this is something going on right now. All the way through your morning. And then you suddenly become powerful prayer warriors that start your day out powerfully. Amen? Do you promise? Don't promise me. Promise Jesus. Every day, say just a couple of words. Because here's the deal. When you step outside your house and you go out into the world, there's enemies that are waiting for you. And they want to trip you up. And they want to make you have a bad day. And they want tempters to come in and offer you things that you don't belong touching and being a part of. It's going to happen to you every day. Do you know that the enemy stands and he waits for his opportunities? He never goes to sleep. He never rests. He never stops trying to trip you up and destroy you. He's afraid. He's afraid of the future of the church. He fears you, you Holy Ghost-filled young people. He doesn't want you to talk to God. He wants you to be silent. He doesn't want you to come to these altars. You know, pastor changed the hours of the Sunday services so that all of us could be together in one service so you could learn what it is to pray and worship and hear the word of God with your mom and dad. And far too often I see, all pastor calls the altar call and I see a lot of adults, but I don't see too many of the kids. And it worries me a little bit. It kind of hurts me inside just a little bit. Because if you just come spend a couple minutes, just a couple minutes, come up and talk with mom and dad and pray. Instead of running out there and playing and running with your friends, you can do that later. We'd like you not to run and play with your friends, but stay right in here in the foyer. You understand what I'm saying? Far too often I see parents with no kids. And I did this because God moved upon my heart to say parents need to be together with their children. Families need to be united in the sanctuary to hear the word of God and to praise and worship together and to pray together. And challenging you folks today, I'm challenging you mom and dad to not let them release and run out into the foyer because you know what? There's no power happening out in the foyer. There's no miracles that are happening in the foyer. There's nobody out there getting a Holy Ghost in the foyer. Come on, are you with me? This is truth, isn't it? Amen. The next thing I want you young people to do is keep that Bible by your bedside, wherever you sleep. Just grab it in the morning. I don't care where you pull it, just open it up. Wherever it opens up, read one line. Just one line. See, because we're going to cook the frog on the enemy. We're going to start out with some low heat. Lord, thank you for today. I appreciate you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bible up. In the beginning was the word. Okay, done. But see, the heat's going to turn up. And you're going to, well, what's the rest of that sentence? What's the rest of that chapter say? All of a sudden, it's going to seem interesting to you. Wait a minute, there's a neat story here. Something's talking to my heart. Something's reaching me. I, I want to read more of this. And maybe on your lunch hour, you pull it out of your backpack and you slip it out there and you read a little bit more. See, we're going to cook the the water on the devil. He's not going to turn you down from reading the word and tell you it's boring and stupid and make you leave it at home. You're going to get excited about the word of God, right? How many promise that every morning you're going to stand, sit there and you're going to read just one line out of the word? Can you do it? All right, that's pastor's challenge. Now, here's what you get. In one month... After the school year has started, I want you to go to your folks and say, Mom and Dad, I did what Pastor said. Every day I I said some prayer, and every day I read some words. And he said 
that if I do that after the first month of school, he's taking us all out to a really fun meal. And we're going to go out to a fancy place and have an awesome dinner. And we're going to talk about all the great things that God's doing at school and things that are going on. Okay? That's my promise to you, all of you. A special meal, just me and Sister Cordell and you guys. And we're going to go out and have a fun time. Amen? Parents, one month. October 1st. What is it? October 2nd? One month. I want a line of parents coming to me and said, yep, they did it. They read a line of the Bible. They prayed a word to the Lord every day. And you said, Pastor, you said, oh, and Sister Cordell, I'm going to take them out and have a ball. Amen? Let's cook the devil on the, cook the, the frog on the devil. All right. I would like the parents of all of these young people to come up, and I'm looking for some leaders who are willing to come as well. Everybody's welcome. The altar will be open, but we're going to pray a special prayer. Today's altar service is not about you or me or your issues. Today's altar service is 100% about these precious, wonderful, awesome young people that are standing up here today. Today's not a day to murmur a few words and walk away. Today's not a day to just phone it in. I want some people who are willing to pray powerfully powerful anointing over these young people. Some people that are willing to pray in the spirit. Some people are willing to raise their voices. Some people who are willing to show these young people what it means to gather together in the unity of the church and rain down anointing in the Holy Ghost upon these young people this morning. Amen? All right. Everyone's welcome. You can come on up. All right. In Jesus' name, pastor's going to lead you. Young people. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.